Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. You know what? I was in such a good mood earlier, and then now I'm not. I had a really amazing weekend. I told you I had like friends in town from the East and we were going to Malibu. Did that. My friend Will, who I posted on my Instagram stories and everyone was like, Harpo, Harpo. Will Will is just a friend, y'all. Will is just a friend. I told you I don't post nobody without a ring. But Will was in town and we went to Malibu. We made a day of it. I have this bucket list of things that I want to do before I leave California. So there's a couple places in Malibu that I've always wanted to go to that I have not been. So we knocked a couple of those off the list. We had a we had a total like, you know, boozy brunch, daytime drinking kind of day. It was really good. And the first restaurant we went to, it was right on the Malibu Pier. And we walked in and the only other table of black people was two black women. And Will had on an outfit that he'd had made in Ghana. It was kind of made of, um, I guess, mud cloth, the design, the white with the black. And the woman at the table recognized it and complimented him on his outfit. And he said, oh, you know, I had it made when I was in Ghana. And she was like, oh, you've been to Ghana. And he was like, yeah, you know, you know, we just got back um, not so long ago. So we strike up this whole conversation. It turns out that she lives in Ghana. She's raised in London. She's visiting L.A. right now. And she's headed back at the end of the month. And that the woman that she's with, very sweet woman in her 60s, who wants to move to Ghana. So we had a whole conversation about being an expat and moving to Ghana because Will kind of wants to move too. But, but it was really interesting. The woman is in her 60s. She's a grandmother. And she was talking about moving to Ghana. And so she was like, I'm just, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I just feel crazy. And she was like, no, I'm 62 and I'm going to move to Ghana. And she said, maybe if I was like, you know, still young, like 45 or something. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny because I have like these ideas in my head sometimes. I'm like, oh, my God, like I'm acting like a 20 something. Like I'm going to take a leap year, at, like 42 Like, and didn't I just take one at like, I don't know, 38, 39? This one's a little different. That one's for like mental health. This one is just, just living. Life is for living. You know, I love to quote Alice Smith. And as a matter of fact, not really Alice Smith, Alice Smith's mother. Alice Smith has a line in her song and she said her mother told her, if you're unhappy, honey, go ahead and reinvent yourself. So as many times as I feel the need to do that, I will. Me sitting up here feeling bad about doing it at 42, and a 60-year-old woman is like, I had more courage when I was young, 45. I was like, it's all relative. It's all relative. But I did that on, what was that, Saturday? No, that was Friday. I did that on Friday. And then another set of friends were in town from the East. There was a versus on Sunday. Um, you probably heard about it. Mary Mary and BB and CC Wyans did a versus for Easter Sunday. And some friends were working that event. And so they were in town. And so we met up at Soho House. The one in West Hollywood, not the one downtown. The downtown one is like pretty popping. It's like kind of like super black. The one in West Hollywood is where you want to go. Like when you don't want to be in the scene, at least not like the black people scene. It was very packed when we got there Saturday night. But we closed the place down. We were there until like well after two. We got there at like 830 and we were there until like two-ish. It was a good night. I was drinking tequila straight. I ain't do shit on Sunday because I was drinking tequila straight on Saturday. I was fine. I'm trying to avoid the calories. That's why. I told you I'm back in the gym. So I was like, as hard as I be killing myself in the gym and with those goddamn kettlebells, I am not doing excess calories for no reason. If I'm taking in useless calories, I want it to be carbs, not, not, not juice, not sugar. Uh, so can I have like a double tequila with two limes 
and two ice cubes. Thank you. My friend was like, yo, we turning up like that. And I was like, I'm not doing shots. I'm just, you know, I'm sipping. And he was like, oh, okay. I'm just checking, just checking. But we had a good time. So yeah, so I've been in like good spirits. Like I got up and went to the gym today, not this morning, but you know, I got around to it. I had some, uh, I had some errands I needed to run today, but I saw like midway through the day that the mask mandate for like all transportation, at least federal transportation has been overturned by some, (laughs) when I saw that a judge had overturned it, I was like, is it Florida or Texas? Is it Florida or Texas? It's Florida. It's a judge in Florida. She's a woman by the name of Catherine Mizell, who once worked for Clarence Thomas. And and when she was, I guess, I don't know if if she was running for office, I guess when she was appointed, federal judges are appointed, I think. The American Bar Association released a statement saying she was, quote, not qualified to serve as a federal trial court judge. And they said this because, quote, since her admission to the bar, she has not tried a case, civil or criminal, as lead or co-counsel. So basically, you ain't got no goddamn experience. Okay. But this judge has decided that the federal mass mandate is unconstitutional. There is no legal standing for it. And so she says the mask mandate must go. And so it has. And within hours, the TSA said that they were no longer enforcing masks in airports. Most of the major American airlines, United, Delta, American, Alaskan, Southwest, and I'm reading this from the Washington Post, they ended their mask mandates. Just, just that, that quick. Just, we're, okay, we're done. So the reason I'm upset is because... I got to fly soon and I may have to fly a bunch this summer. I'm not so much worried about the international airlines because that's how I'm getting to Ghana. So I'm not so much worried about my flight that's coming up, but I am like, you know, the other flights I have to take. I'm going to wear my mask, but the idea of, I don't know, being trapped on a air sealed pressurized tube with recycled air with, I don't know, like 300 other people for hours at a time and say half are not wearing masks, that doesn't really sit well with me. I'm fully vaccinated. I've had a third shot. Whenever it's available for me to get my fourth shot, I'll go ahead and do that too. But I'm just like, you know, is is this really a good idea? I mean, we're going to overturn, you know, a mask mandate based on quote and unquote the legality of it. But like, what about the public health of it? It's a pandemic. We're allowing legal jargon and technicalities to take place over doctors, maybe. The CDC does still strongly recommend that people wear masks on transportation. I think that's probably, you know, a good idea. I also think a bunch of people are are not going to abide it. I also think at this point, I should point out that this, um, that this judge was appointed by Trump. So although he's not in office, the long arc of his crazy still continues. It's going to kill a bunch of people. I'd also like to point out that nearly 1 million Americans have died from COVID. Um, actually, the number is 988,000. So 12,000 to go, which I'm sure will be you know sped up by this latest mask mandate. I'd also like to point out that as of April 14th, according to the Mayo Clinic, um, 66% of Americans are fully vaccinated. A third of the country are not fully vaccinated, no double shot. And they are, you know, going to roam free on planes and trains and 
other federal transportation, unmasked and unvaccinated. And so may the odds be forever in their favor. And I don't say that to be an asshole. I say that to just be real. Like COVID has already killed, again, 988,000 Americans. COVID numbers are up. And I'm not saying this to be alarmist. I'm saying this because it's facts. They're nowhere near as bad as they were at the height of the pandemic. But again, they're going up. And in the middle of still a pandemic, a federal judge from Florida, you remember that clip that used to circulate all the time? It was Kid Fury and Crystal from The Read. And she was talking about something and she was like, yeah, from Florida. And she says to Fury, she was like, you know, like Florida, because you're from Florida. And he said, no. And she said, you're from Florida. You're from Miami. He said, I'm from Miami. And she said, yeah, Miami, Florida. He said, I am from Miami. Miami, Florida. No, Miami. I am from Miami. I see why people make a distinction because Florida, Florida going to be the death of us. I apologize to Floridians with good sense who are listening. Y'all going to be the death of us, though. Y'all, y'all state going to be the death of us, though, or the death of a lot of people. I'm so shocked. Like, I mean, I'm no legal scholar or anything, but I'm like, no one like thought to appeal this or get some sort of, I don't know, injunction. There, there was nothing that could be done to, to stop this. To, to stop the, the end of a mask mandate while COVID rates are rising, while there's a new variant, while one third of the country is not vaccinated. There's nothing that can be done here. I read in the Washington Post, the White House gave a statement on Monday. They said, we, quote, are reviewing the decision and assessing potential next steps. What the fuck does that mean? So if you are somebody who doesn't like to wear a mask, if you're over masked, if you're hopefully, you know, fully vaccinated and you're just, you know, fuck this shit. TSA is not enforcing mask use on, on planes, trains, public transit, buses. So, you know, be free if, you know, you don't mind catching COVID because that's what's going to happen. <sighs> Last week, we talked about Rihanna and ASAP Rocky. We had quite a bit of discussion about them. There was a rumor that was circulating that ASAP had cheated on Rihanna with one of Rihanna's employees. It was a it was a god awful rumor. And thankfully, it is not true. It is not true. And thankfully, also, like last week, I was like, I have faith that ASAP is not that dumb. I have faith that ASAP would not blow the bag that bad. I didn't want that for Rihanna. I didn't want that for the bump. I'm glad I ain't drag his ass because I thought about it. I thought about it, but I was like, let me hope that it's not true. It's a rumor. Nothing's confirmed. Let me hold out on the dragon. The same way I held out on the dragon for the BLM women. I'm like, do y'all have a statement yet? Because I only can hold on but so long. We're on the edge, y'all. I'm, I'm holding on. Where is your good excuse for this shit? Please clear it up. Please clear it up. I don't want to drag them. But I'm glad I did not drag ASAP. But it is not true. Sources close to ASAP and Rihanna told TMZ it's 100% false. There's nothing to this. The woman in question, I won't repeat her name because God, people were lighting that woman's Instagram page up and she didn't turn off her comments. She just eventually posted a a note that was like, essentially like you people cannot be this dumb. And I I couldn't be mad because I did talk about it. And I was like, oh, she's talking to me because I talked about it. That's fair. That's fair. But she said it was was vile. Um, Did she call it unsubstantiated? Actually, I have the quotes right here. She said on her Instagram story, she said, I've always believed that an unfounded lie spread on social media doesn't deserve any response or clarification, especially one that's so vile. 
I initially assumed that this fake gossip fabricated with such malicious intent would not be taken seriously. However, in the last 24 hours, I've been reminded that we live in a society that is so quick to speak on topics regardless of factual basis and that nothing is off limits. Fair. Fair. The, uh, the guy who, who put the rumor out there is a fashion writer is what he's referred to as. I, can't, I haven't seen the list of places that he's written for, but a black dude, Louis Pisano. We don't know much about Louis Pisano, but I'm reading on page six. They're the ones that are calling him a fashion writer and a social media influencer. They reposted his, um, his apology for, for spreading misinformation. And he says, um, quote, last night I made a dumb decision to tweet some information I had received. They, that's the pronoun they use, said, I'm not going to talk about sources, blame others for a discussion that was started, etc. Because at the end of the day, I've made the decision to draft that tweet, press send and put that out with my name on it. I'd like to formally apologize to all parties I involved with my actions and for my reckless tweets. I have no excuse for it. I've been way too wrapped up in Twitter drama and unfortunately leaned into being messy as a brand, which is something going forward I'm going to move away from. I think he also, page six is just uh, quoting, I guess, the important parts. But I think he said he was going to take some time away to uh, figure himself out and get himself together. So, yeah, it's good that he apologized. I appreciate that. Saying you're wrong, saying you're sorry is a good thing. I think he's trying to fuck around and not get sued. That's important. That, that Cardi lawsuit has changed the game. I don't think a year ago anybody would have apologized for something like that. People would have just doubled down and said it is what it is. You know, the truth shall come to light. But no, it was a good statement as far as I was concerned. They're not trying to get sued by a billionaire. On the GP of it all, I'm sure. Rocky and Rihanna, since the rumors, they never addressed it. They never said one thing or another. But they were spotted out in Barbados, according to many news sites. And I'm reading this one from The Sun. They're a, they're a tabloid, but they do have pictures to back up their account. Rocky and Rihanna are in Barbados right now. They went to dinner the other night. And uh, <laughs> the headline for The Sun is really, R-I-L-L-Y, really risque. Pregnant Rihanna goes without underwear in nearly naked dress after shutting down rumors baby daddy ASAP Rocky cheated. They could have just gone with pregnant Rihanna, you know, in a black dress, but without underwear in nearly naked after shutting down rumors. All these prepositional phrases. Oh dear. Oh dear. But it is like a barely there dress. I mean, ma'am is very, very pregnant. And she's been showing off her bump her entire pregnancy. I read some article. Was it the Vogue article when they were talking about her fashion? And she was like, I'm not wearing anything while pregnant that I wouldn't wear while not pregnant. I'm not changing my sense of style just because, like, I have a bump. But this dress is, is something that Rihanna would have worn in her, her pre-pregnancy days. It's Rihanna. I feel like if somebody else had it on, I would be like, they doing the most right now. Yeah. Yeah. And she's pregnant. Yeah. She clearly feels good because she's walking around in four inch heels and the dress is teeny tiny and she probably doesn't have on drawers with it. Just keeping it a hundred, but not wearing drawers is not the worst thing in the world. People do it all the time. I mean, as long as you're not like, you know, putting, you know, your cat on something, as long as it's, you know, confined to the fabric that you came in with, it's fine. But yeah, it looks like, um, it looks like beach attire, but also she's in Barbados and it's hot. I don't know what she want from people, but she's cute. She's adorable pregnant. And ASAP, you know how I feel about ASAP, but he's there and he is fine. It's going to be a beautiful baby. 
I can't wait to see the baby. I think she's probably going to keep the baby from us for a few months, kind of like Cardi did. And I wouldn't be mad at her if she did. I totally get it. But she's adorable in her four-inch heels. They're so mad at the idea this woman might not have on underwear. They mentioned it like three times in the article. They also happened to mention that they were like, Rihanna and Rocky walked in. They didn't appear to be holding hands, despite a picture in which they look like they're about to hold hands, um, which is weird. But they said the couple did not appear to be holding hands or showing PDA as they looked straight ahead. Just based on what I'm looking at, I don't think they knew they were being photographed. Like the pictures are kind of grainy. It would suggest to me that this is a long lens from far away, like very far away because a good professional camera, which I don't even have like the kind of cameras that paparazzi use, but I can zoom pretty far just on like, you know, a good Nikon with like a decent lens. But with their like super cameras and their super lenses, it's still grainy. They mad far. Um, And also, I don't think like, you know. Just because a couple is not like tonguing each other down or holding hands doesn't mean something's wrong. It just means that in this moment, we are just walking into a restaurant because we're hungry. It could just be that. So, but they look cute and I'm glad everything is going well with them. I genuinely am. I'm not being any kind of sarcastic. I'm glad that they're good. I guess we need to talk about uh, this Viola Davis. It's not a Viola Davis movie. It's, um, it's the first ladies. It's a series. I thought it was an anthology. It's a series on Showtime. In my head, I had believed it was, I thought it was going to be a anthology series about first ladies. So one of them would be about Michelle Obama. Another one would be about Betty Ford. Another one would be about Mrs. Roosevelt. That's not what it is. It's like all mixed together. But nobody's talking about the actual structure of the series. Everyone is talking about Viola Davis and her and her portrayal of Forever Flotus, Michelle Obama. Now, I told y'all last week that I had seen the previews and, and I, I did not care for what I saw. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a chance and, and see where it goes. And, and I did that. I watched it on, um, on Hulu. Ungood. Ungood. Very ungood. I'm not going to drag Viola because Viola has given us amazing performances over the years. This one is a misstep. I said on Instagram when I talked about it and I said, you know, in a 30 year career, like this is her first miss. And somebody else was like the help. Even she didn't like the help. That's fair. Um, I didn't hate her in the help with reflection on the help. She said she would have played the role differently if she had a do over with that one. So fair. Um, Two missteps in 30 years. Let her be. I'm gonna let her be. I like Viola Davis. I like her as a as a personality. I think she's a grown ass woman and I think she has good sense because of the platform that she's built for herself as an actress. When she says something, people listen. I appreciate her that when she's on the platform with the microphone or the bullhorn, she always has something of substance to say. I don't ever feel like she gets on a stage and embarrasses us as a person. So the role that she's played, I don't understand the choice that she made to to hold her mouth in, in the way that she did. Michelle Obama does do like a mouth thing. Sometimes she does purse her lips, but it is in no way in the way that, that Viola Davis is doing. I also never in all the times that, you know, we've seen Michelle Obama on on covers, in interviews, in speeches, on stages. Her mouth movement is never something that when I think of her physically, I don't think of that. I think of like her hair flip in the beginning. I think of her bob, 
I think of her, her height. I think of her, her arms. I think of her tush. Respectfully, she is a very shapely lady. Um, I think of her complexion. I think of her brownness. A lot about hair. There's so much politics like wrapped up in her hair. I think about her, her, her 1950s housewife outfits. I don't think I caught it at the time when it was happening, but to look at old pictures of Michelle Obama and then look at pictures of her post White House, it's so evident to me how she played a role for eight years to support her husband. She's not really the type of woman that walks around in literally 1950s housewives. Like we just talked about the help. Most of the outfits that are in the help, I mean, not worn by the help, but the the people they were helping, the white people, those sort of like Technicolor fitted at the top, poof at the bottom, that A-line, that A-line cut with literally a sweater and a belt around it. That was Michelle Obama's uniform for years. Very 1950s housewife, down to the kitten heels. They wouldn't let the woman wear heels because they didn't want her to tower over Barack. She sacrificed a lot, a whole lot. And I think because I've read the book and I've, I've watched the interviews for the book tour, went to a tour, screamed my head off when Forever POTUS walked out. I think I'm very protective of Michelle Obama, knowing all that she went through and put up with to be first lady, to support her husband. And so to see this portrayal, and I don't think Viola Davis set out to, I don't know, be a character to portray her poorly. I I think in her mind, she thought she was doing an accurate job. I can't see her like black woman to black woman, especially with the stuff that Viola Davis has been talking about in interviews lately because she's got a book coming out later this month. I think on the 26th, I can't see her as black woman to black woman intentionally misportraying Michelle Obama. I think just in her head, she thought it was a good look. And I don't know, she's a producer on this project. And I wonder if this is one of those things where she studied Michelle Obama and she came up with like this portrayal of how she wanted to do things. And then when she got on camera and started doing it because she's like the Viola Davis, literally like the the best black actress of our time, like the most awarded black actress of our time. Actually, when I say best, I'm going to take the black out. She's the best actress of our time. People usually say that's Meryl Streep. I'm like, have you seen Viola though? She's amazing. You know, sometimes you get in your head and you're like, you're very nervous about something and you just, you, you just, you, you just overthink it. I think maybe that's what could have happened here. I want to give her the benefit of the doubt, but I think because she's the Viola, maybe she, you know, showed up on set and started doing this and nobody wanted to tell her because she's the Viola that like, hey girl, this ain't working. This, this ain't working for you. Cause I can't see like a director telling her, so we want you to do this. And then her realizing it looks crazy and going along with it as like the Viola with all the power that she has. I don't know. I'm just curious of like how a whole set of people, I mean, again, like the directors, the producers, the other actors, the network executives, like no one said anything. It's weird. But yeah, I would love to know what Michelle Obama thinks. Like on Twitter, (laughs) they were calling this thing an an abomination, not an abomination, an, an abomination. There was this uh, this meme of Michelle Obama looking at a laptop. She was looking at something and she had this crazy look on her face. And they were like, this is Michelle Obama watching Viola, watching Viola Davis play, allegedly, Michelle Obama. 
Michelle Obama will never tell us what she thinks of that portrayal. She's a classy lady. I would be mortified. I would be. I can't imagine a world in which she's not. Like, it's so unflattering. There's also other weird choices. Like, because Viola Davis is in her her mid-50s, the guy playing Barack Obama is maybe his early 40s, maybe, maybe mid-40s. Because he's black, he looks like he's mid-30s. And she looks at best like mid-40s. But it's clearly a a 10-year age difference between them. Like when she's talking to Barack, it doesn't hit for me that she's talking to her husband. Their ages look so vastly off in their scenes. I actually like the guy's Barack though. Like he doesn't necessarily look like Barack, but he's got the inflections of his voice like down pat. It's actually kind of creepy listening to him. There's also a weird scene in the, uh, the, first, uh, the first episode. It's the one I posted on my Instagram. I'm spoiling part of this. It's not a significant part. And also like we all live this. So we kind of know what happens. You remember Barack Obama got a Secret Service detail like way early because he's a black guy running for president and he was getting all these death threats. So he and Michelle Viola are in the kitchen and she's doing like the weird mouth thing. And she's saying to him, you know, like, you know why you're getting these death threats? And she's like, and she was like, you're a coon. You're a nigga. It's the way she says it. And it's like, I know you're working with a script that probably was not written by a black person because black people don't talk like that. It's not that we'll never say coon or we'll never say nigga, but it's just like the way that she said it, it like grated the ear. Like it stood out to me as like, yeah, that's not, that's not black folks. But then also like she's doing the weird mouth thing. You know what? It's very much giving. My friend sent me this last night and I was like, yo, we're banished. We're, we're headed for hell. At least we'll be together. But she sent me this picture last night of Wanda from In Living Color and I was like, oh shit, that's what it is. Viola is doing the Wanda face. Remember Jamie Foxx's Wanda on In Living Color? That's what it looks like. She calls him a nigger and then she like, she calls Barack a nigger. And she's like, you know, making a point of like, you know, that's why you're receiving the death threats because that's the perception of you. But it's just a weird way that she says it. She says it and then she pauses for effect. She's got the Wanda lips and it's just like, this looks like some old like mad TV shit. Like it's not even Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live has like a degree of like classiness to it sometimes. (sighs) Let's just move along. Let's just move along. Oh, I want to talk about Trey Songs. I'm not going to drag it because we've talked about Trey Songs before and we went through, was it the Daily Beast? I think they had a long list of, of cases and allegations, um, accusations about Trey Songs being violent or assaulting women or sexual abuse or raping women. Remember the Joe Budden podcast? Do you remember that? And he was on the podcast with. Rory and Mal, is that who it was? Am I getting that right? I never once in my life listened to the Joe Budden podcast. The only time I ever paid attention to it is when there was that fallout situation with Olivia Dope. And I like Olivia. So I was like, well, what is this about? So I went and watched the clips then. Other than that, I'd never once listened to the podcast. So Rory has a podcast and, and he has some interesting things to say about Trey Songs. In summary, he was like, I know so many women that Trey Songs has assaulted or been inappropriate with or been violent with. He was like, someday there's going to be a Trey Songs documentary and it will be crazier than the R. Kelly documentary. And I was like, what? 
when I was scrolling, seeing that headline is what made me stop and pay attention. I'm going to play you the clips. Is that all right? Trey Songs, Doc. In 15 years, how long is going to be? That Trey Songs, Doc, is going to be crazier than the R. Kelly. Trey Songs is the most nasty, abusive, rapey, beats the out of women. Like, he is the scum of the earth. Trey Songs is fucking disgusting. Like, his doc is going to be, is going to surpass, if you ever thought you could surpass an R. Kelly doc, I promise you in 15 years, Trey Songs, his doc will. He's an awful human being. Like a terrible, terrible movie. Santa Claus. And somebody is gonna knock him the fuck out. It's not like you know who that somebody is, like, yeah. This isn't one story. This is personal that I know with, I'm not even exaggerating. Close to 15 to 20 women, all with the exact same experience, that I know not to be liars at all. Trey Songz was cleared. What is Rory talking about? His charges were cleared. I'm not talking about the charges that he was charged with. It's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. I have no idea who the charged him for that shit. I'm talking about my personal experience with women that I know personally. He's an awful human being. In that clip, Rory referred to charges being dropped in a Trey Songz case. We had talked about this on a previous episode. A woman had accused him of sexual assault when he, and I'm reading from The Root right now, when he invited a group of women, allegedly, back to his room at the Cosmopolitan Hotel to help celebrate his 37th birthday. So those charges have been dropped. Um, the Root also notes that Trey Songs is facing charges in Miami due to another lawsuit brought against him by a woman who claims that the artist sexually assaulted her um, at a nightclub on New Year's Eve. He's had a lot of lawsuits, a lot of accusations too. Kiki Palmer probably being the most famous of them. And then there was a WNBA player. There was a WNBA player that accused him of rape. You know, I like to think when there's smoke, there's fire. There's a lot of accusations over the years. And I'm not going to run through them again today because we talked about it on a previous episode. There's an article on the Daily Beast, I believe. What's the other one? I was um, When I was talking about this on my friend's page, I had posted links because people were like, well, this is the first time I'm hearing of it. Okay. That's fine. Well, let me let me let me give you some background. But I was sharing the link. There's one on the Daily Beast for sure. There's another one on another article that has a long list of the charges and allegations on the cut. Uh, and that article was updated February 16th. That's probably when we talked about it. But it talks about the WNBA player. It talks about Kiki Palmer. It talks about a woman he punched in a strip club in 2002. It talks about when he was arrested in L.A. for felony domestic violence, a woman who alleged that songs choked her, punched her in the face, knocked her down. And then they referenced the Miami incident that I just spoke about, where the woman alleges that the Trey Songz, quote, attempted to penetrate her vagina with his fingers without consent at a Miami nightclub. And she says that another woman at the club confided in her, saying that he did the same with her, sliding a hand down her pants and groping her buttocks without consent. This 2020, he was sued for punching a bartender at a Cardi B concert. There's also a story from a podcaster in 2020. 
she said she and her friend went to Trey Song's house and he refused to let them leave. She said Songs coerced her into, quote, doing some things and threw her phone off the balcony. She also says that he urinated on her without her consent. This, she told the story in 2020. She didn't say when the incidents took place. Um, on February 15th, so there's another lawsuit. An anonymous woman filed a civil lawsuit against Songs. She says that he anally raped her at a house party in Los Angeles in 2016. She said she had a consensual relationship with Songs until the party where he allegedly invited her upstairs to his bedroom and pressured her into anal sex. The woman says she repeatedly refused and asked him to stop asking her, at which point Songs turned into, quote, a savage rapist, pinning the woman to the ground, ripping off her pants, and anally raping her despite her screams and pleas for him to stop. Following the alleged incident, and again, I'm reading from the cut, the suit says the woman received a sexual assault exam where examiners concluded she suffered severe anal tearing. The woman is currently seeking $20 million in damages. It's notably, I think this is important to say, Trey Songs denies that this happened. He denies most of this stuff happened. The, the cut notes that they've reached out to Trey Songs representatives for comment and did not receive one. So we'll keep an eye on, on Trey Songs' allegations as they come. That's kind of horrible. Yeah. I wonder if, if Rory is going to be... Remember there was a comedian... Um, they started talking. I mean, remember that whole Bill Cosby thing started because a comedian, I can't remember his name, started with an H. Hannibal Burris? Is that, is that right? He started randomly talking about Bill Cosby in his sets. So remember, Bill Cosby was running around doing like the pound cake speech, and men didn't pull up their pants, and, and mothers were giving their children crazy names, and it was just real respectability politics. And um, the comedian started pointing out, and he was like, you know, here's this man running around shaming black people. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you're a well-known alleged rapist. How dare you? And then people started digging and was like, well, what is he talking about? Like Bill Cosby's drugging and raping people. What? And then all those stories started coming out the woodwork. I wonder if Rory will be that tipping point. I mean, again, if something is there, I mean, it's, it's a lot of people accusing sir of doing wild shit over a period of time. And Rory is saying, like, he's like, I know 15 to 20 women. Like, even if he's exaggerating, even if he only knows three or five, that's still a lot of people. One is too many, but three to five plus like, you know, this long list of of women who are accusing him. That's a lot. That's a lot. Last but not least, I had this on my uh, list of things to talk about last week. I don't know why I skipped it last week. Maybe because it was like a Friday episode and I was like, we're going into the weekend. I don't want to leave on this note. There was a story in the Washington Post about child marriage in Afghanistan. And so if you recall, when we exited Afghanistan, there was all this concern about, you know, what's going to happen to Afghanistan and the girls and the women in Afghanistan and getting an education. And what if what is Afghanistan going to be now that the Taliban has taken over again? Like people were talking about it and there was interest in it. And then it sort of died down and then Russia invaded Ukraine. And then we ain't heard nothing about Afghanistan ever since then. But the Washington Post ran this um, really great investigative piece on April 14th. I read it and like I, I was in tears for most of the reading. Since Americans left the country and the Taliban took over, it's been six months of Taliban rule. 
the finances of the country are just in complete disarray. Folks are desperate. There's no money, which means there's no food, which means there's no heat. And so desperate times are calling for desperate measures, a level of desperation that I think most of us can't even fathom that this is even a story is insane to me. And yet it is because the Washington Post talked to several families where this was an option. And when I say this, I mean, families who are selling their daughters in order to eat. The story starts off talking about a father who is heavily in debt. He says his children went to bed hungry, shivering in an unheated home. The father, as the Washington Post describes, quote, began to see his three daughters through the prism of survival. And he says, rather than all my family members die, I decided it's better to sell one of my girls to save the rest. The daughter he sold is three years old. Her buyer is a wealthy man in search of another wife. He is 50. He sold his daughter for $500. The man agreed that the little girl could stay with her parents until she turned 15. That's when he plans to marry her. He would be 62 at the time of marriage. So the father agreed because he needed the money. He said the man came by with $100 of down payment and he wanted to change the agreement. He said instead of taking her when she was 15, he wanted to take her across the border right away. The father asked the man, he said, how would he explain his daughter's absence to his wife? And I was like, pause, 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 pause. You, you decided to sell your daughter to anybody. It doesn't really matter the age of the man or or who it was. You decided to sell your child, your three-year-old daughter, and you didn't mention it to your wife. I know it's a different culture, but you decided to sell your child And never thought, maybe I should mention something to the mother? No. So he asked the dude, he said, how am I explaining to my wife where my daughter went? Like, where this three-year-old, this three-year-old ain't here no more. What am I telling my wife? He said, if your relatives ask, tell them you lost her on the street and you could not find her. What? What? So he shows back up with $100 down payment and the father takes the money. The guy says, keep her for a while. I'll be back. He doesn't realize that his other children heard the conversation. And so they went and told the wife and was like, daddy's trying to sell our sister. The wife comes out and is like, absolutely the fuck not. She told her husband's mother what the, what the father was up to. The mother was like, do not sell my granddaughter. I will never forgive you. He continues to pressure the wife trying to convince her to sell the kid. I could have told him that wasn't going to work. Finally, the wife told him, if you sell our child... I will kill myself. That got his attention. So dude calls the buyer. He says, I want to cancel because if I sell her, there could be a suicide in my house. The guy was like, no, I've already given you like a hundred dollars. Like you accepted the down payment. Like I'm going to take the kid. Like we have an agreement. So now he's trying to figure out like, how do I keep my kid? And then also pay this man back a hundred dollars, which I clearly didn't have to begin with because I had to get money from him just to get the basics, like food. He's not trying to ball out like he's literally trying to feed his family. This wasn't the only person the Washington Post talked to. They talked to another man, a former government service. He has two wives and eight children, including a one-year-old daughter. You know where this story is going. He said he was in debt for $1,600. 
the electricity was cut off and food was scarce. He said he called a wealthy man. He asked him for a loan. The man said, well, you know, me and my wife, we don't have any children. He said, if you give us one of your kids, I'll give you money. So he sold his one-year-old daughter for $800. $800. The Washington Post spoke, spoke to the wife and they asked her, they said, well, how did you explain to your kids that the baby got in a taxi with a strange man and ain't never coming back again. And she said, I told them they took your sister and she will not be with you anymore. And you have to live with this. The Washington Post found the man that they sold the kid to. And he says, my wife and I love her very much. He said, in the early days, we thought of changing her name. But at my wife's request, we still call her by her family name. Does that make it better? I'm not, I'm trying not to judge because I know folks are in dire straits. And I like the hope I wouldn't sell my kid. It's a horrible situation, but I wanted to talk about it because, you know, Afghan people are, are brown and we might not know much about their culture, but we know America stopped giving a fuck. Like you sat up with these people for 20 some odd years and then you got tired of sitting over there, which I get it, which I get it. And then you left and now shit's in chaos. And I know it's not our country and we couldn't stay there forever, but I think it's important to talk about the aftermath of that abrupt decision. Folks are selling their kids. And not to say it wasn't happening before. At one point, the Washington Post does say that, you know, this is something that's been ongoing. However, it's been a sharp uptick the Taliban has taken since the U.S. left and the Taliban has taken over. Like, you know, people are in dire straits and they're doing crazy shit. And then we talk about a bunch of frivolous stuff sometimes. And, and it's good to talk about. Sometimes I need the distraction as much for the reporting as you might need for the listening. But, you know, it's ratchet and respectable. This ain't no parts of respectable, I, but it's beyond our usual fare. And I hope it's okay to introduce. We haven't talked much politics or world events in a while, but it's important that we are knowledgeable and well-informed people. If you want to read this article for yourself, I don't know if I gave you the title. It's in the Washington, again, it's in the Washington Post and it's titled Through Child Marriage or Paid Adoption, Afghan Girls Bear Brunt of Crisis. And it came out on, on April 14th. It's a long read, but I think it's worthwhile. Sorry to be a Debbie Downer. Like this episode is um, like a lot. I wish I could give you some levity to send you on your way. I can, but I won't. Sometimes we just need to sit in hard truths and, and feel and think. So do that. If you have not picked up your merchandise for Ratchet and Respectable, it is available on DemetriaLLucas.com. Please pick it up. People keep asking me about new merchandise and I'm like, um, I'm moving to Ghana, y'all. I don't know if I can pull off another job before I go. I'm still trying to figure that out. In the meantime, pick up your merch on DemetriaLLucas.com. That's not everything, but that's what it is. And we'll talk again on Friday. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>